Welcome! This is the first full episode of the Thrive and Learn podcast, a project of the Rhode Island Association for the Education of Young Children. This is our very first interview, and we are so excited to speak to Stephanie Ferreira, the Manager of Program Assessment at Bright Stars. Uh, so for those of you that may not be local to Rhode Island or aren't familiar with Bright Stars, Bright Stars is Rhode Island's tiered quality rating and improvement system. We have 10 quality standards that we measure programs on, and we reference something called the tool a lot through uh, our interview. We're referring to the environment rating scales. Um, they're little short-term names known as the Eckers, Itters, Fickers, Sakers, depending on the setting uh, that you provide childcare in. If you want more information about the Eckers, Itters, Fickers, or Sakers, uh, you can find more information at our website, brightstars.com. Org. Enjoy this interview with Stephanie. You are podcast ready. Are you kidding? This is our first episode. This is our first episode. I think that this is it. I think we're starting it right now. I think we're doing it now. I think we need the music. Oh, I don't have any yet. It's the first episode. Hold up. Wait. That one. Okay. Do you know what song we're talking about? No. <laughs> but, yes. but I'll, but I'll Shut them up style. Okay. I don't know. I, we don't may not have the rights to that. I don't. Ha, I don't have the rights to anything. <laughs> I barely have the rights to this. <laughs> Say that first. Just be like, we don't have the rights to anything. <clears throat> okay. Okay. All right. All right. This is our inaugural episode. Step. Yes. All right. So who we? Who who are who are you? Okay. <laughs> All right. So today we have Stephanie Ferreira. She is the manager of program assessment at Bright Stars. And I'm going to, I'm just going to do a little speaker bio here for you, but I learned that we actually have to update our website. So I'll do that before we go live with this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Stephanie is the manager of program assessment at Bright Stars. She has worked in early care and education for almost 15 years. And Stephanie was most recently a Bright Stars consultant before assuming her current position with Rhode Island AEYC. She is reliable on the Eckers R, Eckers 3, Itters R, Itters 3, and Sakers U environment rating scales. Additionally, Stephanie is a certified pre-K class observer. She holds a bachelor's degree in human development and family studies from the University of Rhode Island. Me too. Shout out URI. And she holds a current Rhode Island teaching certificate in early childhood education for grades pre-K to second grade. In addition, she has completed level two RILTS, which for our non-Rhode Island listeners, if, if you're out there, <laughs> is the Rhode Island Early Learning and Development Standards and is a trainer for for Rhode Island AEYC's professional development modules. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. I think I'm now a creator, too, of the professional <laughs> development module. I'd like it's to true. edit that. I it's am now true. a creator. <laughs> content content curator, creator. Yes. yes. Extraordinaire. Well. So, yeah, I mean, this is a transition that happened over the course of the pandemic. So how has that yeah. been? Um. I hate to say the pandemic has made anything easier in our lives, but I feel like it actually kind of was a little bit easier because um, the work that we're normally expected to do uh, changed and we developed new ways of doing things. And it kind of fell into the perfect time where I got to be the person that was able to make those decisions. Um, So kind of as we were evolving from this, like in person, in office, you know, Mm. nine, nine to five, Monday through Friday, 
you know, routine that we were so used to, um, we all know that became upended and um, we're adjusting to the new normal. So I think it was actually kind of easier on me because yeah, uh, I got to make the decisions on how we were doing things moving forward, you know, along with um, other people in our leadership team and with the input of our staff and stuff. So it does feel it does feel a lot like a like a clean slate. Like we really, mm-hmm. we really did like the entire thing just like blew up in our faces. And I feel like we're building it back. Yes. From basically nothing. And I'm sure um, providers probably feel the same way because in Rhode Island, um, providers were closed for much of the beginning of the pandemic and had to apply to reopen. So we are kind of growing with everybody, which feels cool. Um, So you've been in the field though for 15 years and I want you to take longer than 15 years now. Oh yeah. See the website needs to be updated. I got that from our own website. (laughs) (laughs) So that's going to go on my to-do list. So what, where, where are we at now? If it's more than 15, where are we at? Um, so URI 1999. So I guess we're at, uh, is that 21 at the cusp of the new millennia? Mm-hmm. So bring me all the way back there. How uh, did you find yourself studying early childhood education? Um, so I think my interest in early childhood really started when I was a child. Um, my mother used to call me the Pied Piper because <laughs> wherever we would go, there would be like a trail of little children behind me. Like my whole life, strangers on the beach, their children would come up to me and just want to play. And, um, you know, at the playground, there was always just, you know, children following along besides me. And I don't know that I was necessarily a leader. I think I just um, really just loved being around other children. So it was really cool that like they just naturally kind of graduate, you know, gradually came to me as well. Um, When I was in high school, I wanted to be everyone's dream job. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a marine biologist or an oceanographer and work at SeaWorld. Um, And then I took a couple child development courses. Um, You know, I had a really great teacher in high school that just like kind of, you know, gave me the foundational information about child development. And um, I think that that kind of steered me into taking some courses in college, you know, my freshman year when you're taking those gen eds, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life since marine biology wasn't working in my direction since I was not that great at science. Um, I feel like um, that's such a Rhode Island thing to want to yeah. do with your life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oceans here, I will study them. Yes, yes. And say I will move far away, but we know that never happens as well for someone who's oh, usually no. born and uh, bred here. Um, and then just I started taking some work classes. And finally, I decided that I was going to apply to um, the concentration in early childhood. So, you know, I had some great teachers along the way that really just sparked my interest in it. And I went from there and then finished up at URI in 1999, um, did some student teaching. And then I simultaneously, my parents decided to buy a restaurant my senior year of college. Um, So that kind of was like, okay, what am I going to do with that now? Um, So I used to teach school every day. Um, I started out in kindergarten and preschool as a reading specialist and uh, like a social emotional support teacher. And then I would work uh, five nights a week at my parents' restaurant, but I was young and full of energy then and didn't have my own kids. Um, So basically the first mm, five, seven years of my career were spent um, doing both jobs full time. Wow, that is the grind. Um, so, <laughs> for your for your mindset, then where did you think your career would take you? Um, I think I always thought that I would end up being a kindergarten teacher in a public school. That was like 
That's what I wanted to do um, at the time, because now we're going back in time here, folks, 20 years. Um, it was very difficult to find a teaching job in a public school system. I mean, um, I think that's what everybody wanted to be was a kindergarten teacher. So if you were one, um, you stayed in the field, you know, till it was time to retire. So if you had a large group of, you know, um, kindergarten teachers that had been there for a while, your chances of getting a job were slim to none. Um, even being a substitute was hard to get um, onto the list at the time. Um, so I just found myself kind of uh, leaning more towards the restaurant business at the time. Like I said, I was young and um, started to do teaching more on a part-time basis. So I thought that I was going to end up in a kindergarten classroom, but like year after year trying to get a full-time position in the public school just didn't um, work out in my favor. So that's when I kind of found myself in more center-based um, teaching. Awesome. Um, so tell us about that time then, especially as you took on early learning. So what was your time in the classroom like? Um, I loved it. Um, I thought I just was really passionate about being around um, young minds and little little people. I loved it. Um, every day is different, right? Like there was no two days that were ever, ever the same. Um, most of them were great. There were some really bad ones, but you know, most of them were um, awesome days that, you know, you look forward to going to work the next day. And part of my job that I really loved, you know, later on as I got a little bit older and kind of after I became a mother, I found that um, teaching other people how to be better teachers really became um, something that I was more and more interested in. Um, I think just intrinsically, like over time, the the teaching that I wanted to do kind of grew into more of teaching teachers about teaching. Um, and that's how I landed at Bright Stars, actually. Oh my gosh, great segue, because my next <laughs> question is, so it sounds like you kind of um, enjoyed being a mentor to other teachers and like other adult learners. Mm -hmm. So what made you consider the career move to program assessment? Um, so I first came on as a consultant because there was need for um, an Eckers um, observer. So I started doing that um, because I knew I wanted to be in a classroom in mm -hmm. some form, whether it was observing or mentoring teachers. Um, and it was a great opportunity because I um, was really, really dedicated to the tool and learning about the tool. And even when I was in the classroom, um, the center that I worked at, I helped prep all the other classrooms for learning about the ERS. So um, it was just something that I was really passionate about. So when I landed as a consultant, you know, I just really just dove deep into what that looked like. So um, I think being able to assess programs, I really, we know teachers like get so nervous about being observed and like, you know, they hear bright stars and they get nervous. But really, I think what we've all like, come to realize over the years is that we really are partners in the work, especially now when we have a pandemic going on. We know that like even more so than ever, like we are program's biggest advocates. We are the ones who are definitely, um, you know, talking to different state partners and agencies and, uh, you know, people that are higher up on the chain than us, um, you know, begging and pleading for um, help for teachers, wages, all of those things. So I think that um, 
just as a whole, all of the work kind of just fell right into where I was supposed to be. Like, I felt like I was meant to be right here. <laughs> so Aww. it's great. <laughs> I love that. So you're, you're starting to kind of touch upon it, but do you have like a philosophy when it comes to program assessment and quality improvement or like what, what is the approach that you take to program assessment? Because I think it's really important I, I'm interviewing you and I'm interviewing you first because I think that everything around like QRIS, so quality rating and improvement systems in Rhode Island, we have bright stars. Um, I, I think it is so much more helpful than what public opinion <laughs> or not even public opinion, but cause I totally want to recognize that like people have tough experiences and these are high stakes observations, but people like you are approaching it with such a, an open mind and such a positive philosophy that I hope you could talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. So I think when it comes down to it, I'm going to sound like the tool when I say this, but it's really about what children are getting while they're in the care of a provider or whether it's a family child care provider or a center. Um, like I said, it, I kind of, when I look at things as an observer, you know, I have to, you know, keep my mind focused and not worry about how hard I think teachers are trying or I have to worry about like, oh, that was a really good effort. Like when I'm looking at things, I'm looking at them objectively. But on the other hand, while being objective, knowing that I know how meaningful interactions are and I know how meaningful and important it is to have time with materials. Um, so I think that you know, that baseline information of child development really comes into play for me when I know that I'm assessing a program and what the philosophy is, assessment looks like is like our children's basic needs being met for what they developmentally need and how are we getting there through a high quality environment. So I think that, um, like we said, the QRIS in Rhode Island, the Bright Stars piece um, it's just really important. And I know Allison and I have had some conversations about, you know, during the pandemic, how can we still, you know, keep true to what we know is best for children. And I think, um, you know, just the fact that programs and teachers show up every day and like yeah. show care and concern for these children and keeping them safe and keeping their families safe and doing the best that they can um, for these programs, whether it's just, you know, giving a baby a rub on the back or, you know, wiping the tears away from a toddler, like that's a meaningful interaction. And sometimes it's the most that these kids get in a day. And I just think um, assessment is so important because it really gives us a feel to like what's happening in programs throughout our state when we look through the quality lens, whether it's during a pandemic or hopefully soon when we're not. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. So we are here in the year of our Lord 2020, and it is the week of Thanksgiving, and it looks like we're entering a third wave. I don't even looks like. We totally are. We're we entering are. a third wave, um, and I think that we've just been like ebbing and flowing and like trying our best to respond to the moment and be receptive and responsible about how much we impose on people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a big part of it, and this is going to, we're going to bleed into my philosophy a little bit. I think so much of what you're observing, like, yes, the interactions are huge. And I, what I love about the Eckers and Itters and Vickers three is that they're weighted more heavily, but I like to also remind programs that 
the tool and when we say the tool we mean the eckers and the itters not we're not saying like oh i'm being such a tool like <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about something specific um, but it also measures things that are out of the teacher's control so what i always like to tell people is that like yeah it's a mirror and it, you know there could be some difficult information that you're receiving here but there's a lot of it that requires public investment. There's a lot of it where you need to lean into your administrator. Um, there's a lot that has to do with the building and all those, all those fixes might be expensive. Um, so just because it's my favorite topic ever, um, what would you like elected officials to know about childcare? And based on all of the objective assessments you've done, what do programs mm -hmm. need? Oh, wow. That is a big question, Allison. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> um, I think, you know, elected officials, I think the bottom line is they need to know that early care matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have the science to prove the brain development. We know that in the first five years, they learn their brain is fully developing. You know, we know that babies require so much care from and they're receiving it and typically from people who are making lower wages. Um, and I just think that like the baseline is, is that no one even really gives it a thought as of like, you know, where do we want to go with this? Where, where's early childhood? They think, they think early childhood and they think like kindergarten, like, oh, you know, they, they get paid vacation, summer's off. They make plenty of money when they're not realizing that it's an actual like different age group of people that we're actually talking about. Mm -hmm. um, especially because maybe, um, you know, they've only had experiences with a specific subset of centers or family childcare settings that they've seen. So they haven't had the experience of being in, um, you know, different types of neighborhoods or different types of settings, you know, big centers, little centers, you know, family child care providers that have two children or have six. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I don't like to say anything positive came out of the pandemic. I've already said that. <laughs> but like one of the things that I can think of that has made me feel a little bit better about living during a pandemic is that uh, there's no doubt about it, 155 plus percent that we would not be anywhere right now without early care and education. Amen. Um, we would not be able to have the parts of our economy open, even if, you know, we're about to start a two week pause here in Rhode Island through, uh, what is it? December 13th, mm -hmm. starting next month, uh, starting Sunday. Um, literally no businesses could be open without early care and education. They, I mean, everyone's like, why don't you send them to your aunt's house? Or, you know, what about grandma and grandpa? There are people that don't have anywhere else to send their children or anyone else to watch their children, except for the place that they trust with their children. It's not as easy as, you know, dropping your baby off to a random person to watch them. You know, it's, um, parents have invested a lot in, you know, researching programs that they want to send their child to looking for that high quality piece. Um, and I just think that um, they need to be getting a little bit more credit than they're getting credit for. And so I think that legislators, they need to start paying attention to who's uh, on the, on the front line as well, you know, with all the healthcare workers and everybody else that's been doing such a great job Um you know, the childcare workers are definitely um, putting in their work as well through a pandemic. Amen. And they deserve higher wages for sure. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Um, so I think that that 
is a good point. Like in addition to there being structural needs and systemic needs in childcare, we're also asking this of programs um, and of teachers that are making, you know, most of the time minimum wage. Um, and I think that we can we can get all like hunky dory about our philosophy, but, but we really should call um, call it like it is because I think that r- regardless of what our philosophy is, and I think that this podcast and this medium is going to hopefully like open up our philosophy and our our thoughts and how helpful we want to be. But I think that no matter what way we slice it, people still we we still cause anxiety for literally a, a living. We cause anxiety for a living. Um, so what would you have to say to teachers that are nervous to have you visit their classroom? Um, don't be. <laughs> Easy. Got it. Got, Got it, it, everybody. Right? Stop it. Write that down. <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> In the words of Gina Raimondo, knock it off. Um, no, I think I think even in as the job that I do, I get nervous, right? So I have a training that I have to, um, you know, I have a standard that I have to hold myself to as well. So, you know, like a, a simple thing, like a reliability check seems so easy. You know, I go out with a peer and, you know, they make sure that I've scored um, the tool appropriately. And I, you know, wake up in the morning and I have, you know, my face feels really hot and I feel nervous, but like, this is what I do for work. I'm confident when I'm out in the field. I'm confident that when I'm scoring something, I'm scoring it the appropriate way. I don't ever feel like I'm not doing something the right way. And I think when we go into classrooms and do assessments on the environment, we try not to remind people we're not being judgmental. Like we understand that, you know, right when things are going great, Johnny is going to have an accident and 20 other kids are going to, you know, 19 other kids are going to have to wait on the rug for a few extra minutes because of course things fell apart when bright stars was in the room, but mm-hmm. try not to focus on the things that are going wrong and try to focus on the things that are going right. Um, a lot of times I always tell people, you'll see me like, you know, writing things down and sometimes it'll look like, you know, I'm writing kind of quickly on my piece of paper. We're not looking to catch anything going wrong. We're usually writing great language that we're hearing, great interactions that we're hearing, because we want to capture all of those for when you get your feedback. So most of the time, we're not approaching the program or the provider with, ooh, what can I see them doing wrong today? I want My mentality is, I want to catch them to see what they're doing right today. And where that falls in the tool, that's where we get our score. And then, you know, we kind of move on with the giving program supports once they've, you know, finished going through the assessment process of, how we can continue on this continuum of quality improvement. Um, You know, once you get to a certain level, we don't want you to just stop there. We want to be able to support you in um, how you can get teachers trainings and, you know, those types of things. I could go on and on about, um, you know, how assessment really, really does um, want teachers to be comfortable with them being in the classroom. Right. And I think that this is equally important. same question kind of, but what do you say to like program administrators or education coordinators that might be supervising teachers Mm -hmm. that are being observed? Um, I guess be honest about the process. Um, You know, we get lots of feedback from teachers saying that, you know, they feel like they're going to get fired if they get a low score or they're going to get called out at a staff meeting with their report from their classroom used as examples of what not to do. So I think 
we find ourselves communicating um, with admin and ed coordinators around the fact that, you know, this is an average score of, you know, one or two classrooms in your program. Like, what can we take from the positives from it? And where as a program can you improve upon it? Because most likely if it's happening in classroom A, it's most likely happening in classroom B and C. And um, I think it's administrators and ed coordinators jobs to figure out a way that they can support teachers and, um, you know, scaffold their own learning to the next level um, as a program, not just teacher specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of mentioned before, like using that data from your actual, you know, ERS report um, to make improvements to your program. You can bring that, you know, to your board of trustees or your board of directors saying like, hey, you know, we, we really didn't do great at language and interactions. I need some more money for some professional development around um, talking to children about books, mm-hmm. um, those types of things. So use the feedback to improve and, you know, make sure you um, let your teachers know that it's not just a judgment of that. It's not a judgment of them that they're not going to get fired for, yeah. um, you know, a particular situation. Um, and sometimes I think that what we've found from individual observations is that really some of the improvement actually needs to come from the administrator and the ed coordinator uh, supporting teachers in the classroom. Maybe you're one teacher with nine children and like, how could we ever expect that to go perfectly smooth? I can guarantee you it is not (laughs) um, ever going to go smoothly. Um, So I think we've found some areas where even us as an agency can provide some guidance to programs like that might not be the best idea, you know? Um, Yeah. Sort of thing. And I think like, of course, too, like the number of people that you can have on staff on any given day is also like a systems level thing that we mm-hmm. need to address. And that's Absolutely. like, that's something we acknowledge. And that's something that we bring all the way up the ladder when we see it in data, because I love that data and <laughs> I love turning it into solutions. Um, and I, I also feel like when the environment like the supervision environment is more punitive. I Mm -hmm. I feel like the nerves are also worse. So I feel like, you know, we can talk all day about how teachers really need to just like center themselves and be positive and focus on what they're good at. But also if you're existing in an environment that is holding your, is, is, is weighing your score so heavily. Um, I, I think that there's just as Absolutely. much responsibility there to be a leader and to, to look at everything holistically. Mm-hmm. So you're a mom shout out to Jacob Kinley and Alex who mm-hmm. post pandemic have become very good friends of mine. <laughs> and we are recording. Stephanie is actually in our office <laughs> because yes. I, did, I did not invite them on the podcast <laughs> as, mu- as much as I do love talking to, to them. Stormtrooper appearance or a uh, red power ranger in the background. It, you know, it is one of my favorite parts of the day, but I digress. Um, so, but yeah. as a mom, you've also utilized childcare. So yes, I feel like there's a lot of intersection here about, so can you talk a little bit about, I don't know, how that affects your work or why it makes your work more important to you or kind of just talking about, you know, the parents' role in childcare and quality childcare? Yeah. Um, I think now that I am a mom and as I know people that are becoming moms, I feel like uh, 
I'm like the, that person at the party when we were allowed to have parties. Mm-hmm. We were allowed to have parties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was that person at the party like, oh, have you like looked into, you know, have you looked into where you're going to send, you know, little shout out to Josie. Um, you know, where have you sent, like, where are you going to send Josie to childcare? Or, like, have you looked at any places or, you know, um, and people are looking at me like, what? Like, she's not even born yet. And I'm like, okay, time to step it back, Stephanie. But like, I feel like um, parents as advocates is huge. And I think I, I find myself doing this with my own parents. Like my, uh, my mother would be like, oh, um, you know, Kinley did these great worksheets at school today. She came home with these worksheets. She colored in the lines, do, 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 do. And I'm like, Ugh, right? Like that's my first thing is like, oh, and she thinks it's great because we know the expectation is that, you know, people want to see the, the lined paper with the letter K for Kinley on it, you know, with the perfectly straight up and down line and the, the leg at the right angle. But me from my early childhood background, I'm always like, okay, well, like, did she do any socially, you know, any socialization with anyone today? Or did she play by herself for most of the day? You know, those are the pieces that I come into. So I think, educating parents about what quality actually looks like is very important. And you know, this, this has come up at a lot of our meetings. Um, I'm a huge advocate for giving knowledge to parents about high quality. Like what is Bright Stars? What even is QRIS? And I definitely think um, as I've been in this role a little bit longer, I, I am getting more parent calls. Like, how do I, how, what does this star rating mean? Or what do, what do these standards mean? And I think um, the more conversations that everyone can have about the importance of early care, even if it's not saying like, oh, don't go to that program or yes, yes, get on the waiting list for that one. It's more of like what the expectation is um, for me. Um, my youngest son, I was fortunate enough. He got to stay home with my parents because he was the firstborn grandchild. And that was 13 years ago. So we were all much younger then. Um, mm, that's and- your, that's your oldest son though. That's not yeah. your youngest son. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Um, you know, so he stayed home. So he didn't really have any early childhood experience until he went to pre-K and he cried every day of school until second grade. That is the legit truth. Every single day. It was the most stressful part of my whole entire first time mother existence. Mm. Um, and I was very lucky that he went to a pre-K, um, program where the teacher was very sensitive to his social emotional needs, especially as a little boy. Mm. Um, you know, he used to carry a picture around in his pocket of me. He used to carry a mirror so he could look like, look at himself when he felt sad. So we know what sad looks like and all these emotional supports. And you don't really think about how important those things are, but those types of things take place in a high quality program. Whereas it's not like wipe your tears, let's go play with blocks. You know, it's Mm -hmm. really addressing, you know, from the bottom up what's happening and supporting them developmentally yeah. Where they are. Um, so I think just like giving knowledge, 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 knowledge to parents. Um, I mean, I even think it kind of needs to happen at the pediatric level when you have your uh, first well visit, <laughs> like yeah. your baby's two weeks old, but have you thought about childcare? No, I mean, you know, just like some more education, you know, you, you go to birthing class on learning how to have a baby and now they give you a baby and now you're like, okay. <laughs> What, hap- what happens next, right? And now you find yourself having to go back to work and you're kind of like, 
where do you start looking? And I think if people start looking at, you know, Bright Stars has a star rating, you start looking at programs and what those star levels mean. Um, I don't think people realize that, um, that these are actually quality measures that are actually in place. I don't know that they um, have a lot of knowledge that this is a system that's even in place in Rhode Island. And I think um, when you're having your Zoom Thanksgiving dinner with the people who don't live in your household, because in Rhode Island, we're not allowed to have Thanksgiving with anyone that doesn't live in our house, um, that like bring up the conversation, right? Even if you know someone who works in early care or your children have been in early care, talk about your experience. Like I said, I have two friends that have recently had babies and I think they think that I'm insane because I'm always like, oh, make sure you ask like, you know, about teacher experience or make sure you ask like, how do they communicate with you? Like, right, you have a six week old baby or eight week old baby in care. The first thing you want to know is how they're going to tell you your baby's day is going. You're not going to wait until five o'clock in the afternoon to get an update about your infant. You want to know when they had a bottle and you want to know instantly, whether it's through a picture or a text message. So, you know, what kind of apps do they use to communicate with parents? How frequently are you communicating? Um, all of those things that, you know, it's not as easy as just dropping your baby off or your toddler or your preschooler or your extra year pre-k child it's not easy no matter what age um because it's really important to make sure all of these quality pieces are in line and that they match up with what you believe is mm -hmm. what quality looks like too right you wouldn't send your child to somewhere that you like physically you know philosophically don't believe the same thing because that's just not going to end well for a child or parent or program so <laughs> just really yeah. researching and you know doing your homework asking around looking at a uh, little plug reading up on the newest edition of developmentally appropriate practice yes. released from NACI just this week. Mm -hmm. But side note, uh, I would love to set a goal for myself to have this published before Thanksgiving, but we can, we can tell people to save their conversations for Christmas just so I, okay. I might right. before. yeah, so okay. save it for Christmas. Save Happy it. Thanksgiving. And I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, but, <laughs> but uh, yes. So yeah. Thanksgiving has been times past now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I had a great Zoom conversation about all of this. Um, but yeah, no, so Allison and I have conversations all the time. That's why our family rolls our eyes at us when we start talking about yeah. it. So they're like, we've heard this. Tell someone else. So True. yes, at Christmas or over the holidays. That's why I ordered this microphone so I could tell them so I could talk to everybody all the time. <laughs> um, you know, over the holidays, have a conversation. Ask, you know, your in a Zoom meeting doing professional development for whatever line of work you do, whether you're an administrator or you're on the QRIS from another state listening, um, every conversation counts. Mail a postcard to your uh, legislator. That's one of our favorite advocacy things to do. Um, you know, just get involved in the process. And like I said, I know that um, the pandemic has changed a lot of things. And I think people are starting to really realize how important um, early child care, early childhood care is. Um, it's essential, if you will. Yes, if you will, it is essential. I mean, I find myself, we were talking about like childcare experiences, like my own child's childcare didn't reopen. Mm. So uh, Allison mentioned, you know, programs in Rhode Island were um, closed until June 1st was the earliest that they could reopen. And when it came time for reopening, my son's childcare didn't open. And uh, thankfully I have a flexible enough work schedule where I can do work from home and at the office kind of on a rotating basis. 
but the thought of having to find somewhere else for him to go when enrollment numbers were down or the places weren't close to my house or when I was looking at, you know, the quality pieces that I would want in place, I was like, oh, geez, like, where am I going to find somewhere to go? And I have, you know, I have a great list of places that I will consider when it's time to send him back. But um, just being proactive, asking the questions, having the conversations. Yeah. And I think as QRIS, I, I want programs to know that like, yes, we, we are, you know, kind of recommending that parents think about it through this lens, but we also have the same goal as programs. Like when we go out and when we're supporting programs, like, like you said earlier, like we're not looking to find out what's wrong. Like we want to see every single program improve and move up the continuum. Like we are going in with the same goal as you. So I hope with that shared vision, we can alleviate some more anxiety. Yes. (laughs) Um, but if you want to take it all the way back again, and this is probably going to wrap us up. Um, if you kind of gathering all of the knowledge that you have acquired in this almost however many, it's almost been two decades, whatever. Um, sorry. (laughs) Ouch. In the short short time that you've been a professional, (laughs) um, what would, what advice would you give to yourself if you could go back on your first day of teaching, what would you say to young Stephanie? Oh man. Um, not putting so much pressure on myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you're yeah. just like lesson plans, preparing materials, cutting things out, doing this, doing that. And just, I think being a constant, caring, loving, present person in the classroom is enough to start. Oh, right. Like, it's someone's child in your care for an entire day away from their mom or dad or grandma or aunt or uncle or grandpa. Um, I just think that being present and being positive and being warm and loving is um, one of the most important things to look for. And it's funny that I'm just talking about that because it's making me think about when I first, I worked where Kinley, my middle child, went to early care. And I was so thankful because I knew exactly where she was and who was taking care of her and all that good stuff. Um, But I remember when I was signing up my youngest child, who is four now, but he was 18 months at the time. And my first question that I asked them was, if he falls down and scrapes his knee, is someone going to pick him up to hug him? Right. This is my third child. I've already had 13 years of parenting under my belt. And that was the first question I asked because you just want to make sure that someone like really cares about them, right? All those other pieces kind of like fall into place as we talk about supporting programs and educating them and giving them professional development and giving them the data on why those things are important. But at the beginning of the day, what matters is, like I said, these childcare workers are showing up in the middle of a pandemic every day to basically love your children, take care of them and fulfill their basic needs while also putting themselves right in the front of everything that's going on. So I just think um, that we need to be sensitive to the people that are doing this work and um, make sure we say thank you every once in a while, <laughs> I guess. Um, thank you. Thank you, child care <laughs> providers that yes. are listening. Shout thank out you. from Rhode Island. Yes. Yes. Um, that was such a great way to wrap it up. That was awesome, Steph. I loved okay. that. <laughs> That was our first ever interview. 
for the Thrive and Learn podcast. I'm so glad I got to start it with you because- Oh, thanks for having me. We we are really riding the wave, every wave of this pandemic together. Yes, we have from start to hopefully finish. By the seat <laughs> of our pants. Yes. Um, and like bear, bear with us um, at Bright Stars. We are, we are being um, very thoughtful about how we return to program assessment um, because we want to center you and your needs. Um, so we just want to take this time to just talk to you big picture. So that's that. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was that. Yay. That was fun. That was so fun. I loved it. Okay. Hello again. Thank you all so much for listening to that great interview with Stephanie Ferreira, Manager of Program Assessment at Bright Stars. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything about Bright Stars, our inbox is always open. Find out more at brightstars.org or email us at info at org. Thanks for listening.